it's not get rich quick, but it's quicker than just throwing money in a savings account forever. And there's a lot of power behind it. And you make money in a lot of different ways. So time is actually very helpful in real estate. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluffy stuff with us today. Megan, great house. How you doing, Megan? I'm doing awesome, Joe. It is so exciting to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Megan. She's a real estate investor and mom. In 2019, she left her W-2 to focus on family and building her real estate portfolio. She started by turning her first home into a rental in 2015 and then buying her first rental outright in 2017. Now she's got 10 rental units. She's got some farmland. She's done two flips and one wholesale deal based in St. Louis, Missouri. With that being said, Megan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? 
Sure. To go way back, grew up as a military kid. And then after college, ended up joining as an officer in the Marine Corps myself. So I did four years of active duty. And while I was there, I was reading a lot of books about personal finance. And I was very interested in what do I want to do after the Marine Corps? And what do I want to do long term for myself and my future family? And real estate kept coming up. So after leaving the Marine Corps, I actually used my GI Bill to get an MBA. And after saving a lot in the Marine Corps, especially during a deployment, and then saving a lot from my nicely paid post-MBA job, we felt like we were in a good position, my husband and I, to buy some real estate. I really was interested in educating myself, so I took the lead on that. We tested the waters, like you said, with turning our first home into a rental for a couple of years when we moved to our second home, and then ultimately sold that because it didn't cash flow as well as we'd like, but it was the learning opportunity we needed to move on. And then after that, I just started buying small multifamilies. And the big catalyst for me to actually get started was having our first kid back in 2016. That was what, despite liking my job, liking my career, liking the people I worked with, really motivated me to find a way to create wealth and a career for myself that was completely flexible and on my own terms because I wanted more time with these kids. Okay. And first off, thank you for those four years that you spent in the Marine Corps and going overseas to help keep us all safe. I just spoke to an active duty Marine gentleman right before you. So I don't know what the theme is. (laughs) Um, I'm glad to be talking to you. I was glad to be talking to him. So let's talk about something that stood out to me when I introduced you because it's in your bio and we'll backtrack too, but I just want to ask about this right now. I said 10 rental units, two flips, one wholesale deal. And then what else did I say? Farmland. (laughs) Farmland. What is going on with farmland? So tell us about this farmland investment. This one was a little more of an experiment for us, I guess. We've always liked the idea of having some land that we could use for our family eventually. And my husband likes hunting. So we decided, especially during COVID, when things were kind of shut down and just working differently, that we were going to look into some of it. And we said, you know what, we could go in and we could look for some land to flip. We could look for some land where the income from the farming kind of helps out. Generally, what we've seen in our area is it doesn't cover everything, but obviously the farming rent helps. And potentially we could even find something where we go and spend time with our kids on weekends and such. And what we ended up finding was more of a short to midterm property, 60 acres, about an hour and a half from St. Louis. And we thought eventually we could potentially build something here. It's kind of vacant farmland, so it doesn't have a house on it for weekends with the family or anything. And that would be a way to flip it. Or we happened to meet a great broker who really knew the values and was able to bring us something under market value. So we said, or we can test this out and kind of flip it more short term. So right now we're deciding what we do with that going forward. But That one is a lot more of an experiment, and it's a lifestyle thing, and it's one of those cool things where you get yourself into real estate, you start to understand how it all works, and you get to try new and interesting things, and you get to do things that also have a lifestyle benefit because you understand the power of the options created by real estate. So that's what we're doing with that one right now. So you own it, and you're in the process of trying to flip it? Yeah. So we're going back and forth between do we build on it and then flip it when we've put some more money into it and created more of a getaway kind of place? Or do we go ahead and just flip it pretty much as it is? We did some basic cleanup of the land because the people who owned it previously had not paid Mm -hmm. much attention to it recently. 
So we might end up going with a shorter term option right now, just because we've got some other opportunities on the horizon that using that money more quickly would help with. Got it. All right. So numbers on that are what? We bought that in just a handful of months ago at 240. And it's one of those things where we could turn around and sell it for probably 270, 280 if we wanted to, fairly short order. And it wouldn't be at some huge amount that we'd make back on it after commissions, but we'd get a chunk of money back that we could use to other things. And now we've got our foot in the door with understanding buying and selling land. What would you do differently knowing what you know now when you purchase the next farmland? We really do like the idea of holding farmland a little bit longer term and having some personal use component to it. And we bought this one thinking, sure, we could try building something on it. And then with how far out it is, realize that's a pretty big task with everything else we have going on. So I think a future purchase, we would definitely look for something that already has a property on it. If anything, we're just improving the existing home because then there's a lot more personal utility that we can enjoy while we hold the property in the future. Let's talk about the two flips that you've done. Have you exited both of those? Yeah, those were somewhat earlier on. I definitely prefer buy and hold over flips, but they were kind of those things where as you learn, you try different things and you take advantage of opportunities when they come. And in order to buy and hold, you need money coming in, obviously, as we all know. So if you're not flipping and wholesaling actively, where's the money coming from since you left your W-2 job to continue to build on that 10-unit portfolio? Right now, fortunately, we've been able to renovate properties that we bought for long-term buy and hold and increase rents. So I'm actually in the process right now of refinancing pretty much everything because we'll be able to get cash out of those and have lower monthly payments thanks to these insanely low interest rates right now. (laughs) So it's a pretty sweet deal there. But yes, I did do a couple flips because to your point, if you want to keep building capital for more buy and holds, that's one way to do it. And you already know real estate and it can be a fun process. So why not? With the new loans that you're putting on your 10 rental units, is that a portfolio loan or are you getting individual loans? What type of servicer are you working with? We're just working with the same lender that we've used since the beginning for the one to four family space. So everything we have is in that space. And these conventional loans obviously have some of the best terms out there. So we're working with the same people we've worked with in the past. We have a great relationship. By the time we're done with these refinances, we'll have done probably a dozen loans with them of different types. So yeah, no portfolio loan. We looked at a line of credit, but with the rates as low as they are right now for conventional loans and the fact that we were a point and a half higher on our current rates, it made sense to do the full-on refinance. And is that a local lender? It is, yes. Okay. So it's like a credit union or a community bank? It's a, a local mortgage lender. And they actually, on top of having just worked with us for three or four years now, the loan officer that I work with is actually one of the sponsors of my local St. Louis real estate meetup as well. So we have a relationship that works for both of us in many ways. Why do you host a St. Louis meetup? I think there's a lot of power in having a very strong network. And I think that in real estate, you really have to create that for yourself. When you're working a W-2 job or you work in an office, it's around you. People are around you. Colleagues are around you all the time. That's not the case with real estate investing most of the time. And I am a very outgoing and relationship-driven person. So pretty quickly, I think it was right after I bought my first four family, I started posting things on the Bigger Pockets forum. I got enough people interested in chatting that I said, let's all get together as a group for a beer and talk. 
And it naturally evolved over time. And on top of giving me a great resource of people to work with, it's offered opportunities for me to help others. I'm just a handful of years into this, and it's really easy for me to talk to some of the newbies at this point and share what I've learned just in the few years and be relatable to them right now. And then it's also created a bit of, I guess, a a reputation for me in the area too, because I'm someone who hosts a fairly well-attended meetup at this point and a fairly well-known meetup. And I think it helps me and it helps me help others in a lot of different ways. Just to learn a little bit more for someone who's thinking about starting a meetup and during the pandemic, obviously, we're just going to put an asterisk on this conversation, right? Because we're not having in-person meetup. I don't imagine that you're having in-person meetup. No, but not right now. Just during a time when there's no pandemic, what specific cause and effect business benefits that you've seen as a result of hosting the meetup? I've had a lot of folks come to me with different deals that they found that they think might fit what I'm looking for. I've been able to strengthen relationships with some of the folks that I work with for real estate. So my lender, my contractor, my insurance company, my title company, they're all sponsors. And I think that keeps me kind of top of mind for them in some ways. And it allows me to give back to them in ways that keeps our relationship really strong. And that makes things easier on me when I work through my real estate deals. And then I've met people who will be potential future partners as well. So it's done a lot. I could probably name three or four other things too. On the fix and flips, going back to those, did you make money on both of them? Yes. One of them, I made a whole lot less than I anticipated. (laughs) And I would say that was my true fix and flip. Like I said, I'm a buy and hold investor. So both of these, they started as rentals that I kind of quickly decided I wasn't going to keep them long-term. They were single families and I like the small multifamily space better, but they had multiple exit options when I got into them. So then I went the fix and flip route pretty quickly after buying them and holding them for a short term as a rental. Can you talk about the one that you made a whole lot less on than you thought? Oh, yes. I actually love this property and this story and no regrets because I learned so much, but it was a two and a half story, 1910 build in an amazing neighborhood in St. Louis City, walking distance to one of our major universities, Washington University in St. Louis. And I found it actually on Bigger Pockets Forum. So it was an off-market deal. Another investor was looking to offload it because he was getting ready to invest in another market. And I reached out to him out of curiosity, even though I kind of prefer duplexes and four families because his rent was so high. What he mentioned is his rent was so high. And we started talking and it was because he was renting to students and he had kind of a unique model. So I knew going into it that I probably didn't want to do the student rentals, but I figured I'll buy it. I'll let these students finish their time in the home and then I'll renovate it because there are so many beautiful homes surrounding it that have been updated and maintained and they're historic. And I was expecting to make about 40000 at the end of the day. And by the time we finally sold it after many, many delays, I think I eked out 10000 And that was with my contractor accepting some of their mistakes and taking a hit on their side. Knowing what you know now, what would you do differently if you were presented a similar opportunity and you decided to buy it? Knowing what I know now, I think I would be much, much tighter on my timelines and the way that I set those up and then much tougher on the management of the contractor as well. And potentially would have switched contractors partway through if I needed to, because the vast majority of what came up was major delays that cost money and holding costs and everything. And that's what really ate into my profit at the end of the day. 
What are some specific things with the contractor in this case that took place? The contractor actually went through three different project managers during the time of my project. And every single time we switched over, it was just more delays and more learning curve and changing of how things were happening. They also were not on top of their subcontractors. So there were multiple times when I reached out to them and said, hey, where are we? Are we done with X, Y, Z? And they said, well, no, because we're still waiting on the plumber or we're still waiting on this guy or that guy to come in. And I'd ask them about that. And it'd take two or three weeks before that person who was supposed to come in a couple of days was finally there and getting done what they needed to do. So it just continued to drag out. And I tried to stay on top of my contractor, but I couldn't seem to make them stay on top of their subcontractors. So that was something I needed to improve. I need to be better at finding contractors who are more on top of it and or being willing to fire and hire someone new when those things come up. 10 rental units. On average, what does a rental unit generate in profit each month? Each of my units net cash flows after everything. About $300 per month is probably where we're averaging out at this point. And what's the average price point for what you purchase? Yeah. In St. Louis, it can certainly range by neighborhood, of course. Anywhere from fifty to eighty thousand per unit at purchase. And it definitely okay. varies by neighborhood. Yeah, I get it. Let's talk specifics. Let's talk about the very last deal that you bought. How much was it? This one I bought for $132,500, and it's a duplex in a really awesome and popular neighborhood of St. Louis called Dogtown. Dogtown? Yeah. Yep. All right. Is that a artist hippie area? <laughs> it's actually more of like a old Irish pubs and walking distance to Forest Park and all its attractions. <laughs> okay. $132,000 for a duplex. Yep. And what's the rent for each of the units? So one side, the previous owner had done some basic cosmetic updates. And these are one bed, one baths, by the way. Okay, um, thanks. They did some basic cosmetic updates. It was nothing too special, but we currently have 700 in rent per month on that one. On the other side, I put about 20 to 25 to really open it up and create a bigger kitchen and a better flow and nice cosmetic updates. And that one is currently renting for $900 per month, which I think we were filling that one during COVID. I think we could easily get a thousand for that one next time around. How do you look at ROI when you're looking at doing a $25,000 renovation? What must you have from a return standpoint, if any, to justify those CapEx dollars? For this one, I knew I was going to do it because while the one side had been kind of updated, the other side was in really rough shape. So for that one, the side that I updated previously had been renting for, I think, right around $500, maybe $550. And I knew I could get $900, maybe more if I updated it. So that monthly is $300, $350 per month, maybe more that I would get on top of if I just rented it as it was. So annually, that's like $4,200. So if I put in $25,000 to get an extra $4,200 per year, that's like a 16, 17% return. So my cash on cash return, I like off the bat when I'm buying something to have greater than 10% cash on cash return. And then when I'm putting work in, I hope I'm getting into the mid teens on cash on cash return, and then eventually able to refinance out a lot of my money and push that return rate even higher on the cash that I have left in, if any. Do you self-manage? I do. 
Well, you've got some interesting stories for us then from that. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) What's what's something that comes to mind? So I actually just had my first issue with bedbugs recently. That has never happened to me before. And it was a little frightening, honestly, especially because I had just been in the unit not that long ago. I actually do my best to not go to my units personally as much as I can. I have really great handyman, a great contractor, a great leasing agent. So I outsource the things that require a lot of runaround and time physically at units. And they are excellent about reporting back to me on what's going on. But I just so happened to have been at this unit previously. So of course I had, first of all, just the heebie-jeebies for about 48 hours after I found out. (laughs) And then it's not cheap. You were in the Marine Corps, right? I was, I was. (laughs) But I didn't ever get bed bugs in the Marine Corps. <laughs> I know Marine's kryptonite now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I've got two young kids and I just was having these horrible yep. images of dealing with bed bugs in my own home with a four-year-old and a one-year-old. So <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that's probably been the worst of it, honestly, is just when you're dealing with things like that, it's expensive. It's one of those things that in a single family, I think it would 100% make sense to bill it back to a tenant in a four family, it's a little harder because you just don't quite know for sure how these things could have spread. So we did our best to maintain boundaries with the tenant and make sure they kind of had some responsibility, but that we also took responsibility and cleared it up before it became a problem for the whole building. And it was cleared up pretty quickly and we haven't had any issues since, but that was probably one of the biggest pit in your stomach feelings when you get the call from someone saying, I'm going crazy. I'm all itchy. And I think I have bed bugs. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, was it three treatments? Is that uh, what they did? They actually did a heat treatment on it. Heat treatment. And okay. then, so there's two units top and bottom on the left, two units top and bottom on the right. They inspected the right and saw no issues. On the left side of the building, they did do chemical treatment in the upstairs unit. In the bottom unit, they did the full-on heat treatment, and then they went back for two checks after that. How much did it cost? I think we were at $1,500 for that. For all of it? Yeah, for all of it. Well, this is in one of the areas where rents are a little bit lower, and even though these are slightly bigger units... That particular tenant only pays five twenty five per month. So when you look at the amount going into that unit just in one month from bed bugs that, frankly, they probably brought into the unit, it kind of stinks. But you got to do what you got to do. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be a slumlord. There's a pro tip that I came across and I learned the hard way with bed bugs. If you're looking at a property and the owner has a spray bottle. And it kind of smells like rubbing alcohol and they spray themselves before and after they go into the unit, Mm -hmm. then there's probably a bed bug issue. (laughs) I didn't pick up on that until later. Um, Fortunately, I didn't ever get them, but it was missed in an inspection early, early on in my real estate days. And uh, that spray bottle, I was like, wait a second. And I did a Google search. Yeah, rubbing alcohol doesn't take out an infestation, but it kills them. That's why he was spraying his legs before and after. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah, there's your sign now. There's your sign. Yep. (laughs) Uh, Spray bottles. So what's your approach when you have a unit that is vacant? Do you have any leasing tips that you've come across that have been really helpful for you to fill your units quickly? Yeah, we actually have a pretty solid process with my leasing agent. And this was one of the issues that I had with 
property management companies. I've worked with a few before I took over and self-managed and none of them were bad, but I always felt like I had vacancies for a little too long. So I found a really awesome leasing agent who's just kind of a hustler and he's willing to do things my way, not just stick to something that he's been taught elsewhere. So I have written into my lease that we're allowed to enter the unit to do showings within 30 days of a tenant leaving. And generally this is happening when it's a solid tenant, they're moving on just because they're moving in with a roommate or moving for work or something. If it's been a hairy situation with a tenant, you might not want to actually show while they're still there. But so far, we've been able to. So I have files with pictures and descriptions of all my units. And if I haven't done any major changes to the units, I'll just use those existing pictures for the leasing agent to get his advertising out there. And he'll list the unit three to four weeks before my current tenant leaves. And then about two weeks before the current tenant leaves, he'll usually ask for an hour or two on a Sunday to do a few showings. Usually he's done decent enough phone screenings that by the time he's done with those showings, he is sending me one or two applicants. I will run them through my own application process. It's all online. It's very easy. I do it through Tenant Cloud. So they fill everything out online. We do the background and credit checks all online. And oftentimes I have a new tenant who has been approved, has sent me their security deposit and is ready to move in within a few days of the old tenant moving out. So they'll usually lined up and ready for it before my old tenant moves out. And then I get my occupancy inspection done and a cleaning done the day after my old tenant moves out and a day or two later, the new tenant comes in. So my vacancy is a few days. I'm glad I asked you that question. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, sure thing. Taking a step back, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I think use time to your advantage. And with that one, I actually mean not moving super fast, but the amount of time that you have to build with real estate is always helpful. So for instance, a property that I bought four years ago, just by naturally taking care of it and increasing rents as tenants turned over is now worth almost 50% more than it was when I bought it. Thanks to buying in kind of an up and coming area, taking care of it and increasing rents. So all of a sudden, even though cash flows were maybe early on $100 per door per month, and then 200 and then 300 cash flow has grown, but my value has also grown and I'm able to refinance and take cash back out and put that into other rentals. And it's just amazing the snowball effect that you have over time with real estate. It's not get rich quick, but it's quicker than just throwing money in a savings account forever. And And there's a lot of power behind it. You make money in a lot of different ways. So time is actually very helpful in real estate. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Very ready. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Best ever conference is almost here starting February 18th. We have over 30 of the best ever speakers in commercial real estate. When you sign up, you are placed in a virtual mini mastermind group to network and gain connections from start to finish. And if you're looking to elevate your investing game, this is the place to be. Visit BEC2021.com and use the code INVEST15 to get 15% off. Best ever book you've recently read? 
Man, I feel like every other book I read, I'm like, that's my favorite book ever. <laughs> but I just read 12 Pillars by Jim Rohn. It was something someone gave to me years ago and I put it on the bookshelf and just recently found it. And it was really great. Just mindset and mentality for a successful, well-lived life. Best ever way you like to give back to the community. I really like to be a networker, someone who can connect people, someone who can also teach and help others. So I run my real estate meetup. I try to answer all the questions that I get from people who are starting out in this game or who are pivoting in some way in the field. And then I also co-host a podcast with Josiah Smelzer called Multifamily Mavericks. As we're both looking to scale into larger multifamily, we are taking others who are in the same place along with us and interviewing a bunch of multifamily investors to give everyone a leg up. What's a bad piece of advice you've gotten or heard? I think anybody who tries to tell you there's one way to do something is giving you bad advice. Generally speaking, there are many ways to do almost everything in real estate. There are very few black and whites in real estate. And if someone who's talking to you isn't giving you the perception that this is what works for them and here's why, they're just telling mm. you this is right and that's wrong, it's probably bad advice. <laughs> I love that. So, so true. Not just real estate, right? Just true. Yeah. Life and in general. Everything. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? I am kind of all over the place, but I have an Instagram called Part-Time Empire, where I really chronicle what I'm doing with real estate. My goal here is not to scale biggest, fastest. I do want to scale and grow big, but it's about the lifestyle for me. So at Part-Time Empire is where you can see how I balance being a mother, being an entrepreneur, being a real estate investor and having fun along the way. Well, thank you for being on the show. We talked a little bit about farmland, which I was really curious about. So thanks for talking about that. Will you be writing about the exit of that whenever it happens uh, yeah, through I, Instagram or wherever else? Yeah, I'll need to share. Like I said, we're still getting the details nailed down, but I'll have to share yeah. for sure. And then the flips as well as the reasons why you do a meetup, the benefits some specifics on the duplex that you recently purchased and why one of the flips didn't make as much as you wanted because of some management optimization that has since taken place for future deals. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. You too.